Well, welcome to episode 13, I believe, of A Funny Story About Money. I'm Kent Tilliot, and I'm very excited about my guest today because he is one of the first uh, real entrepreneurs, business owners I, I met. Um, I know a little bit about his story. Uh, I know a lot about his fam family because uh, his son is one of my really good friends, and, and I met him in high school. and and uh, just knew that his dad owned a business and, uh, and didn't really know much about it until sort of they started working in the company. And I'm really excited to hear about how he started it, uh, how it transformed over the years and, and how he feels about uh, passing it along to the next generation. So that should be an interesting topic. Uh, please welcome the founder of All Glass Parts, Ross Wadey. Well, thanks, Kent. I appreciate that, your kind intro. Um, I guess I'll give a little bit of background on myself. Uh, retired in my uh, 70s. I started uh, All Glass Parts uh, a little over 40 years ago. And uh, the parts business is, deals basically with window and door hardware. Uh, everything to do with patio door rollers and window cranks and supplies for that industry and uh, our customer base is, is primarily glass shops, uh, glass repair houses, hardware stores and, uh, and, and retail customers across the counter types and we ship uh, all over Canada down to the states, uh, we ship uh, overseas uh, wherever our website uh, reaches and uh, we stock probably in the order of six or seven thousand different pieces of hardware, and it uh, and it's been a, a, a good business. We have uh, some competition, although the barriers to entry are uh, um, fairly high. In as much as you uh, you have to source all of the product, you have to stock it. We don't sell from an empty shelf, and uh, we stock all of the six or seven thousand parts that we list on our website. And that means a, a fair capital investment to uh, satisfy the marketplace, but uh, that took time to build. You don't right. build an inventory overnight. You need uh, uh, you have to keep putting money back into the business, and there's always that urge to uh, uh, buy a new car or a new widget of some sort or other. And early on in your business uh, development, you need to uh, take a step back and make sure everybody else is paid, and you're in business is going to be uh, successful going forward by making investments of the kind of for inventory and infrastructure and so on. And we uh, made a lot of mistakes uh, early on, <laughs> as uh, you do in, uh, in business. Uh, you, you think you have all the answers and uh, sometimes uh, you don't. You didn't? No. <laughs> uh, no, no, I did. There's lots of, I have uh, early growing pains and uh, I think you and I discussed uh, earlier some of those growing pains. Uh, we started our business in 1978, and that was uh, things were humming along in our Canadian economy. And then interest rates uh, went uh, through the roof. Uh, our uh, Bank of Canada decided, and I, it was obviously a global problem, not just Canadian, but that interest rates had to increase in order to cool the economy down. And boy, did they ever increase them. I think people were faced with uh, anywhere from 15 to 20 percent uh, 
uh, mortgages, uh, renewals on their mortgages. They defaulted. There was huge numbers of defaults. Uh, people uh, lost their homes. Uh, so interest rates in 1980 went uh, sky high. Just to give you an idea, Canada savings bonds, I think we're paying 19%. I remember, so, yeah, my, my sisters, so my granddad had put money into all of our names when we were young, like an X amount, and and since they're older than me and my other cousins, they had like three times as much money just because of how high interest rates were. Yeah, they were they were insane. It was uh, they wanted to cool the economy. They didn't cool it; they froze it. And uh, as a result of that, we were a couple of years into our, our business and uh, still learning how to how to make a living and, and be successful. Um, and when interest rates went that high, we uh, had borrowed money and had a line of credit at the uh, Bank of British Columbia at the time, and uh, we were covering our obligations. We had uh, you know monthly payments to keep our line of credit in line, satisfying with financial statements, etc. And uh, they were running into financial difficulty themselves for the same reasons that we were and they called our loan because it was a demand loan and they could ask for it all back at any time and they did. Mm. Uh, they obviously looked at our our uh, financial statements and our, our business plan and decided that uh, we weren't as good a bet as some others that they had on the books so they said we want our money. So that put us in a real quandary because obviously we didn't have the money, we were borrowing it from them and uh, we had mortgaged our houses to start the company and uh, borrowed from whoever would lend us money. And uh, we, were, we, were, we were successful from a cash flow point of view, but it was a struggle. And the uh, Bank of BC wanted their money, so we went to the Alberta Treasury branch uh, in 1980 and, and uh, you know, laid our business plan out. And they, fortunately, they said, okay, we can make this work. You, it looks like you've, you, you, you've got a plan and, and, and you, you can make it work. So we paid off the Bank of BC and, and uh, with the ATB funding and, and we've been with them up until a year or two ago. Uh, but it was a rather traumatic experience. We had uh, debt to the point where our accounts payable were maxed out, our line of credit was maxed out. And I took around 12 post-dated checks to all of our suppliers because we were on COD with quite a few of them. Uh, I took around 12 post-dated checks along with our financial statements and uh, showed them where we were at and the picture wasn't great. And I said to them, if you uh, accept these 12 checks, uh, I will make sure that those checks are good. And if there's any reason why they aren't, I will phone you and tell you. Uh, and you will get no interest. I had a few of them balk at that, but they realized that looking at my financial statements, if they were to decide to uh, put me out of business for whatever reason, that they would probably get 10 cents on the dollar, as, right. as happens with those circumstances. So uh, so they all took the checks. The checks were all good. I paid every one of them, and to this day, some of them are my suppliers. Uh, the The lesson that I learned there is that if you're upfront with people, if you show up and don't hide behind a, an answering machine and don't return calls, I think that's what's that scares the bejeebers out of anybody that is owed money. Is when uh, you can't get in touch with the people that do. I mean, you you really 
there's no point in giving people BS excuses. I mean, they've sure. heard it all, and there's nothing I'm going to tell them that they haven't already heard. So I may as well be upfront with them. And I, I was upfront with them. I went and visited them. I didn't just mail them off the checks. I took the statements in and and faced my uh, <laughs> and faced my medicine. Uh, but it was a it was a a, a lesson that it, I'm. In some respects, I'm glad I had early on in business right. because uh, I never put myself in that position again. Mm-hmm. We are, we are uh, infinitely solvent now, and there's basically nothing could hurt us now, <laughs> short of a nuclear war. Right. So <laughs> it's uh, you know, we, and, and that's a, that's a lesson that I learned early on in business is to just face uh, face the music and get on with uh, making it work. And we really had no choice. I mean, we had already mortgage our houses to start the business. I had a partner at that point, and uh, we, it wasn't a matter of, well, gee, we'll just uh, change the name and start over again. That wasn't an option for us. We, right. It, uh, and I never even thought of, the, of that as being an option. We were just going to uh, uh, put, our, our, uh, uh, put our wheels to the grindstone, as it were, and, and get, to get, done, get it done. Nice. Well, yeah, I mean, that's an awesome story early on. So not fun, but, you know, one you needed to learn probably made your business better long term. I think that's right. You're absolutely right. It was, uh, it was one of those uh, life lessons. In, in, and, I mean, people have that those kinds of lessons, just everyday survival and collecting a wage with credit card maxed out and those kinds of things. And, and uh, you really have to... To learn how to manage your finances and make sure that uh, you don't get yourself into that kind of a bind. You, you need a you need a uh, an escape plan. You have to have a a, a, a road a little different road if you uh, have issues that you can go down and make mm-hmm. it work. And uh, we didn't. We were young and we were uh, uh, flying along. Sales were good. We were we were making a living, but we were just living a little too large. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and and so the lesson we learned there is don't live so large until you can afford to live large. Right. Fair enough. Um, and so you're all glass parts now, and I, and I know that that's not how this business quite started. You weren't a distributor of, of parts in the beginning. Uh, just a little backstory about how you how you got into the business and how you decided to actually start your own company. Well, as these things usually go, Kent, uh, there was no grand plan on my part. I, uh, in my education years, I was working part time, and I ended up working for a, a fairly major glass shop here, chain in Alberta called Crystal Glass, and uh, they they treated me really well. They let me work the hours that I wanted to work while I was going to university, and uh, I was able to uh, pay for my tuition and and uh, keep a household going. And I was uh, really thankful for that. So it was what I knew. And when I got out of uh, school, um, I went to work in another industry. But that, uh, after three years, that didn't appeal to me too much. So I went back into the glass business as a salesman. And I worked in, in, uh, in, in for major wholesalers of glass, sell you know, cases of glass and sealed units. I traveled all over the province and saw how a lot of uh, the glass shops were run and got to know the owners and talked to them. And it was part of my job to uh, keep them uh, supplied with what they needed. And after a few years of that, I decided, well, you know what, I could, I really could do this on my own. I, it's not, 
it's not rocket science. I mean, there is a, some fairly simple rules to follow, uh, but critically important rules to follow. And we uh, we managed to learn a few of them getting started, and a few of them we were took a little couple of knocks <laughs> on the head to figure out. Right. But we managed to make it work. But we started in the in the glass business, as you mentioned, in in, in somewhat different from uh, parts and hardware. Uh, but we were kind of heavily into service. We used to repair a lot of windows, and when you do repairs, you need parts and pieces. So that started the uh, that started the uh, quest for parts and pieces to do our uh, do our service work. And and we had a, a good service business going, repairing windows uh, for residential people, repairing windows for the commercial towers down in our city downtown, and that worked uh, that worked quite well at its outset. And, we started getting more and more parts in, and, and I noticed that there was a, a bit of traffic out front of our shop, other glass shops in the city coming to see us to get parts from us. Right. So a light bulb went off, and I thought, well, why not start making a side business of that? Mm-hmm. So we, I, my wife and I traveled across the country, across Canada, talked to a lot of window manufacturers that would sit down and talk to us and ask them what hardware they were using and got samples and bought samples from them and and so we accumulated a lot of samples and right across the country and brought them back here and sourced them either from the window manufacturer we'd spoken to or from another wholesaler of some sort and uh, so we started stocking more and more parts and it grew from from that to the uh, to, to about 15 16 years ago I decided that the service and glass business was really conflicting with my hardware business in as much as the my customers were also my competitors right so i'm selling window and door hardware to glass shop xyz in the city and uh he is also the guy that's competing with me on bidding a repair for a window for instance in a high-rise downtown right and uh even though we we were never the uh, bottom feeders when it came to bidding we tried to give people uh the best of what we could, and that that didn't come uh, always with the cheapest price, but we were successful. Uh, but when you're a competitor, it doesn't matter how good a competitor you are; you're still a competitor. Right. So we we had, I decided a long twenty years ago to to sell the um, service side of the business. We had a staff of maybe a dozen people and trucks and equipment and so on. But it's really difficult to sell a. Uh, a small business like that, and I was quite willing to finance it. I offered it to my employees. They uh, they they didn't they didn't want to take that that uh, those sleepless nights that come with uh, owning your own business, and and I respected that. So I went looking outside of that and ended up selling it to a uh, old high school friend of mine, coincidentally, and uh, Blaine has been running uh, the glass end of the business ever since, and we. Uh, so I sold it to him lock, stock, and barrel, so he's, he's on his own, and he's done an excellent job of it because he's been able to devote himself to just that. Right. And whereas I was trying to wear two hats, and I wasn't doing a particularly good job of either one of them, I uh, trying to be a window and door hardware guy and a glass shop owner. Mm-hmm. So we had, a, we had a staff of about 25 altogether, and I cut that in half when I sold the uh, service business, and, uh, and I wasn't sorry to, to see that go. It was a, it was a high-maintenance business dealing with... Uh, your customers uh, on site every day and and dealing with uh, 
job issues and, and I mean when you're in the paid and everything. Yeah, when you're in the contract business it's a it's a business all unto its own and, and you really need to run a tight ship uh, when you're doing that um, and even though I, I, I think we were doing a reasonable job of it, uh, it it was still it still commanded a lot of attention and a lot of emotion right. <laughs> whereas the hardware businesses it was a lot simpler business I mean you know people phone they they fax they, they used to fax. Right. Now they, they send in e- emails and order, order online. And uh, you ship out what they want, you package it up and make sure they're getting what they want. And, and then the, the most important part of the equation is to make sure you collect. Uh, right. So, so uh, it, it's, it's a simpler business to run from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the, you're, you're not dealing with uh, a lot of, of your staff are, are professional, uh, you know, tradespeople. They're they're uh, reasonably well paid people, and if you're not watching your hours that you're charging out to make sure that you're getting paid for their time, uh, you you can see the see the uh, uh, P and L go downhill pretty quick. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. So you uh, you really need to pay close attention to that, and and we we knew the formula, but it was just it just commanded a lot of attention. And then I was you know onto the window and door hardware side of the business because I liked that. <laughs> right. But, uh, but anyway, I, I made a lot of good relationships in that uh, in the service business. It was from that perspective, and what most businesses about is relationships, and I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. But it was time consuming. For sure, and that's the part of the, the business that I remember when, because I mean, we were in high school, what, 25 years ago now almost, and then uh, I thought it was a service shop, you know, competing with Crystal Glass or whoever else, and, and I didn't know, but I really was beneficial for me because when somebody broke something at my house and, and a piece of glass when I had a party, then Nathan would come over the next day with a fresh sheet of glass and fix it or when I broke that lady's window the first uh, golf swing of the year then he went out and fixed her window and bought him a case of beer for it so it was it was pretty fun in that sense for when uh, when he was still doing that I uh, one question I have and very important for business owners and and this wasn't on my list but you sort of mentioned selling the business and having to finance it. And, and I think so many business owners, you know, that's their baby and they think this will be n- absolutely no problem to sell. And uh, Yeah, yeah. Well, I just to back up a little bit, I never saw that case of beer on my accounts receivable. Well, not, not, what what no, happened with that? I don't know, I'll get you one. <laughs> I'll get you one. No, no. Um, yeah, it was uh, in in trying to sell it, sell a business. It was. Uh, I mean, I wasn't. There wasn't an awful lot of goodwill built into the price that I wanted. It was very little, as a matter of fact. The, the most important part was the phone number, really, because that had been around twenty five years, and all of my customers, service customers, had that phone number. So that was <laughs> that was really the goodwill, uh, and and obviously what we had uh, managed to accomplish by by maintaining them as customers. Uh, and, and doing a decent job for them, but I ended up having to finance the business uh, to the to the my, my buddy that I sold it to. Uh, but but I 
and he and he took his time making uh, making sure that you know our financial statements were in order that he could see that he could make a living with it because he was a smart individual he had, he was in business for himself as a matter of fact he was a contractor but a small contractor and he got he got to the age where he was tired of working on his knees and doing all the jobs that uh, that you do as a small contractor and he wanted to uh, to step away from that and this offered him an opportunity but uh, that said, it wasn't a, a business that he uh, he knew the contracting business, but the glass business per se, he wasn't uh, really really up on that. Uh, so I had to help him, but I ended up selling him the business and financing it for uh, a couple of years, and I with you know no interest charges, and I wanted to encourage him to be successful. I knew his wife uh, Maureen well too. I knew them as a, from, from when I was a teenager. And uh, they're, they're very good people, hardworking, smart. So I knew they would succeed. It was just a matter of, of, of making sure that, that, uh, that I didn't stand in the way of that. Right. And I wanted to, uh, to assist them any way I could. So obviously financing the business was a big deal. Uh, I also bought a, a warehouse for them to move into. Um, and uh, this is my benevolent part. I, I ended up... Uh, uh, financing that for them, and then after three or four years, they uh, the payments that they had rental payments that they had paid me, uh, I put towards the mortgage, and then just handed them over the bay. So they, uh, uh, you know, that that was a it was a good it was an excellent deal for them, and I was happy that they were successful. I could see they were moving in the right direction, and as much as that, the staff that I had had with me, some of them were with me from almost from day one. Uh, they were with me 20 years uh, when I sold the business to Blaine and and they went with him and they were good people so I knew that they would help him succeed and they did right uh, so I, I really didn't want to just shut the business down I knew it had value we, we were successful I had a lot of a dozen staff members and some of them as I had said had been with me a long time and they're good people I didn't want to see them out on the street trying to find new employment Mm -hmm. uh, so Blaine got good people, he got good employees, and, and he still has some of them to this day. Some of them have been with uh, with either him or me for 40 years. Nice. So, you know, that tells you how, yeah, that tells you how, how good they are, but, uh, you know, the, the fact that obviously we've been able to hang in there. So Well, it says a lot about the company, too. People don't stay with bad companies for 40 years, right? And bad people. No, they, they, that absolutely true. And... and um, and Blaine is a, you know, he's got the, my, the fellow I sold the business to has got a, a, a thought process. It's not unlike mine in terms of how he treats his staff and so on. I mean, he's a he's a, a considerate employer, and I mean anybody that that really doesn't uh, want to work under his environment, they probably ought to look in a mirror. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, but that'll happen. I. Uh, Something just kind of popped into my mind, and I and I think it's pretty funny. But uh, you said you retired, but we are in your office at All Glass, and you come into the office every single day. So, is that retirement? Well, I, you know, there's there's 101 sayings, if not more. You know, it's only work if you'd rather be doing something else. And I, you need a reason to get up in the morning and. I mean, I'm far less involved in the business now than I was. I mean, basically, I'm not really involved. The, the boys have been kind enough to allow me some office space. But I come in, and uh, I have a desk, as you can see, and, and a few uh, 
a few computer screens and uh, there's some personal business I take care of and and my sons give me the odd delivery to make and some simple tasks that they know I can't screw up <laughs> and uh, uh, you know they get my advice from time to time I mean right. it's, uh, uh, business is whatever endeavor you're doing you should you should never be afraid to ask for advice and uh, uh, you know my sons are asking me for advice I had that same good fortune to have people work with me that were senior to me and had been in like businesses for for years and I I would turn to them whenever I was faced with some decisions that I wasn't quite sure I wasn't comfortable with and I would ask their advice and inevitably it was uh, you know I would get something that I would massage and make work for me but I was always grateful for it right uh, sometimes business people have the uh, mistaken uh, idea that they are the smartest people in the room but uh, and their egos won't allow them to uh, st step out of their comfort zone and ask advice from somebody because they think they're weak if they do. Right. That's a mistake. Totally. Uh, it's, uh, there's, 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 and, and especially in this day and age, there is so much information out there. I mean, you know, your blog is just one uh, small example of the kinds of things that you can um, search for online and, and uh, uh, get advice on issues that you're having. I mean, I use... <laughs> Use the internet all the time. There's always something I'm trying to fix or repair, and there's right. tons of good advice out there. Totally. Oh yeah. yeah I just, mean, there's endless information. And, uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's the it's the <clears throat> age of information, and sometimes overload. But I mean, if you're if you're discerning enough to uh, separate uh, fact from fiction, and uh, then uh, there's lots of good stuff on the internet. For sure. Yeah, including K4. I'm just kidding. There's a plug, eh? Yeah, oh, yeah. Go. We go, oh, we got to do it. It is my podcast, I guess. So it I is. I guess I'm allowed yeah. to do that. I, uh, um, well, I, and, I, and I hope we kind of lead into this story because I know the story about when you're about 14, 15 years old. Uh, did you always want to own a business? I mean, you didn't have a grand plan to start, uh, you know, distribution company with glass parts. But did you want to work for yourself? Well, you, you know, you uh, I obviously have uh, intimated this story to you a little bit at one time or other. But yeah, I, uh, uh, my stepfather and my my mom were had a business a trucking business a small business so I, I've been exposed to business uh, you know from a very young age uh, my job was to wash the trucks when they came in off the road and I got to drive them as a youngster and that was my that was my payment which I was loved to do how old were you when oh, you were I, driving 14 right yeah, way <laughs> way too trucks. young. yeah way too young I was right. driving big trucks uh, uh, when I was uh, young <laughs> and uh, uh, fortunately, nothing ever happened. But uh, at any rate, it was uh, it was uh, a big thrill for me. So I, I was exposed at a young age to to that, and uh, uh, and the story that I'll relate as a youngster, fourteen, fifteen years old, riding my bicycle uh, in the west end of our city here, Edmonton, and, and uh, there's a, a, a piles of, of brick, dump truck loads of used brick in a lot that was. Uh, in the West End here, and it's now the Denny Andrews Ford dealership. But at the time, it it, it was uh, they were building a restaurant and a service station there called Colonial Esso, and there was piles of brick there. And I went to the uh, super job superintendent, construction foreman, whatever his title was. 
and I asked him, uh, you know, what was happening with those, if I could get some work there. And the guy says, absolutely, but you, you, you know, you've got a schedule to keep up because we've got bricklayers here and they need to be able to uh, take the cleaned bricks, which is what the task was, and, uh, and lay those bricks and build this building. So uh, he said, there you go, there's a field full of bricks and, and, and <laughs> there was dump truck loads as far as the eye could see. Uh, so I, I started, started doing these bricks for a couple of days and I realized that you know, I was not going to make much money doing this myself. So I had a, a couple of uh, friends that uh, I enlisted their, uh, <coughs> excuse me, their help and uh, paid them um, so, so many cents a brick and of course I had my commission on top of that. And so there's three of us cleaning these bricks and we managed to keep pace with, uh, with the bricklayers. Uh, and the bricks had, you know, some of them had some really hard cement on them. Some of them had real easy mortar. It was easy to take off. But we just basically had a hand tool, uh, a chisel, uh, a hammer chisel of some sort. And we'd knock off the, uh, the mud and, and pile these things on a pallet. And the bricklayers would come with a forklift, pick up the pallet, take it over to the job site just, uh, you know, a few hundred feet away and, and lay the bricks. So the whole exterior of that restaurant service station was all done in these bricks. Mm-hmm. And I made, you know, for the time, it was it was a pretty good living. I was able to... Right, well, uh, you had a couple employees. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> you know, 14, 15. We'd ride their bikes there every day, and, and it took a, a month or so of, uh, of uh, work to get those bricks cleaned. But we managed to get them uh, done, and if I remember, I think we did them all. But uh, uh, anyway, it was, uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was obviously something that I carried around in the back of my mind until I was in my uh, early 30s and decided that I could uh, go back to my uh, brick cleaning days and run a business on my right. own. So. Oh, so you were in your early 30s when you started it? That's right. Yeah, I guess, so 40 years, you're 71? So I'll be 73 this year. But yeah, we, we uh, uh, I was a late starter, we were, I was fortunate that my wife was, uh, is a talented, uh, lady when it comes to artistry and she when we were in the initial stages of our business she used to sit at a kitchen table and she would freehand draw the parts so that I could make a catalog out of these things and she would just oh really the cost of the cost of having that done electronically or digitally on a computer back then was absolutely prohibitive I think it was like a hundred dollars a part which if you think back 35 years ago would have been a fortune um, so that was that 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 wasn't going to work. So uh, Roseanne sat at the kitchen table and she would draw a three-dimensional or isometric drawing of of these wheels and handles and rollers and levers and all of the bits and pieces that go into our into uh, the inventory. Uh, so and she so she was really good at that. And we a lot of those drawings we have kept right up until only a few years ago when we. Now, now, of course, we take a photograph of a particular part if it doesn't have a good drawing and send it off to some digital uh, programmer who makes an isometric drawing of it to perfection and charges 50 or 75 cents. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's the times. And uh, so we, we, can, we can have really good artwork. And, of course, uh, the uh, uh, advent of the Internet has allowed us to... Uh, reach out to uh, basically a global audience in terms of our offerings and I mean 
small companies like ours, we're up against some companies that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're small change compared to them, but we can still be quite effective in our own way. Right. We have, uh, we have uh, my son is, is one, and he's a, uh, uh, Nathan, he's a uh, journeyman glazier, and we have, uh, our customers come to us and want any technical information, well, we've got the people that can do that. Uh, we've got several people on staff that are uh, have been brought up in the glazing industry and the repair industry, and when our customers ask us technical questions and why would I do this, how do I do this, we can actually give them an answer. Right. And that's something that uh, our uh, competition they may know their product, but they don't know always know what to do with it. They don't know the application. Yeah, sometimes. and so you know, there's a place for for small businesses, and and it all it's always about service. Always right. about service. It's, uh, um, so and and so we've we've followed that mantra. We we, we couldn't uh, we can't compete with the, uh, the 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 big guys on price, although we're competitive with them. Uh, they're not fools. They know what it takes to make a living, and they they they're not giving it away. So right. so we uh, we compete with them, uh, but we we try and uh, provide a level of service that uh, we know that they they can't always meet. And would this be like big box stores or, or also huge distribution companies like sort of globally? Like well, we have, we have uh, uh, an excellent customer in home, uh, home hardware, uh, but they, are a, uh, they were brought up like us, a small uh, hardware store out of St. Jacobs and then grew to a thousand plus stores across Canada. But they cater to small, uh, smaller towns where service and, and they know the guy across the counter because he's a neighbor. And right. they cater to that kind of high level of service. And we have several hundred stores that deal with us, not with, uh, not with big, huge purchases one at a time, but they're loyal. They, uh, they, they are very well run administratively. They, take, they, they pay their bills extremely well. And uh, they're they're uh, they're pleased that they can get the product from us, and that we take care of them, even on a one operator at a time basis, because they've got customers coming in the door that are grateful for that service at their end. Nice. Yeah. So it. Uh, so we we uh, you asked the question about big. Uh, they're one of our bigger uh, uh, national customers. We have tried dealing with some of the really large corporations. They are absolutely mercenary because they can be, right? Uh, and I get that. Uh, I never wanted to get my company into a position where we had a substantial amount of our sales to any one customer, mm-hmm. because they would start to dictate how you run your business. And these large corporations do, uh, because they can. And I, I get it. I mean, if I had that uh, kind of leverage, I'd use it too. Right. But I didn't want to use it on me. Mm-hmm. So we would uh, we probably have no more than three or four percent. Our largest customer is no more than three or four percent of our sales. So uh, as much as we would we would really not want to see that go, uh, it wouldn't spell it's not it wouldn't spell the end right. of the company. Yeah. Uh, so we have a lot of customers, probably in the order of fifteen hundred to two thousand different customers. Some of them are small purchases, but all that small adds up to big. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and at, at the end of the day, we don't have the risk factor for receivables out there that, um, that a lot of these, if you have a huge uh, percentage of your sales with any one company, uh, that is cause for sleepless nights and big companies go broke too. 
Right. And uh, we, uh, our accounts receivable and bad debts, uh, in terms of our bad debts, are virtually non-existent. Right. And again, because my wife is such an expert at collection, and she still does it to this day, <laughs> and she knows every customer across the country, uh, and she has a personal relationship with them. And uh, you know, it's the old adage that uh, what is it? Twenty percent of your customers give you eighty percent of your grief when it comes to accounts receivable. She knows all of them. Right. And uh, it's the same pattern, it's the same routine. As long as they stick to the same routine, she's okay with that. Right. You know, if, if, it's, if it's 55 or 60 days and it's consistent, you know, she, sure, she lives with that. She's it. on the phone, she talks to them, and okay, uh, you know, Bill, you owe these invoices. Okay, thanks, Bill. Uh, give me a credit card or send me a check, you know. Right. So, uh, but I cannot stress enough how critical accounts receivable are. I mean, we early in our career, in our business uh, career, we were uh, we didn't pay a lot of attention. We just assumed that people would pay you. Well, mm-hmm. that's <laughs> that's a not something. That's a bad assumption. I mean, there are there's an element of the population out there that does business that that uh, if you don't phone them, you don't get paid. So if you're not paying really close attention to your accounts receivable, and and it's and the thing that about that job is it's not very pleasant. I mean, if you've sure. ever dealt with a collection agency, you know how unpleasant that can be. Mm-hmm. And we uh, have never dealt with a collection agency from the standpoint of doing our collections. It's always been internal. But uh, it's been a job that we have learned the hard way of dedicating to one person. If you have a staff member whose job it is to do collections and they do a lot of other things, it's the lot of other things that get attention, not receivables. Of course, because it's not, I'm going to put that off if yeah. that's my job. It's right a thankless there. job. Yeah. So, I mean, you you need to work around that, uh, work through that mentality and make sure that the accounts receivable are tight and they get taken care of, uh, that you expense, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, if you run a business, you know what that means. Uh, so you, but collection is critical. It doesn't take too many bad debts. Uh, you know, when you work hard to uh, make a sale and it costs you a thousand dollars on a bad debt that you're not going to collect. I mean, you could have to turn around and get a ten thousand dollar sale to get that paid back. And if you know how much a salesman values a ten thousand dollar sale in a small company you appreciate how critical it is to collect that thousand bucks from the get-go right so uh, it's a the math may be exaggerated a little bit but the concept isn't no sure and I I like round numbers that are easier to understand exactly so well, I I love that. I knew Rosie worked here. I, I never knew exactly. And you started this business with a partner initially. I did. And would you also consider Rosie must have been also sort of a partner, but not in name? She was an essential partner. Um, no, I guess we started. No, uh, she was uh, not a partner officially on the uh, uh, register, but because I had a partner and uh, him and I were equal partners in the company and we had a uh, fortunately we had uh, decent legal advice and we had a good buy sell agreement and we managed to survive with each other for about uh, uh, 15 uh, maybe close to 20 years uh, and he was a good guy I had no uh, we, we had some issues 
in terms of the philosophy and the direction of the business, of course. I mean, we're two different people. Right. Uh, he ran the the service side of the business. He had a, a lot of hands-on experience with that. He was a journeyman glazier, uh, which is a, a four-year trade in our industry. And he did he did a good job of that. And I ran the sales and hardware side of the business. But eventually, we kind of drifted apart on our philosophy and. Uh, uh, so we, we I, I triggered the buy-sell agreement and we managed to come to terms and uh, parted company. Uh, and he is still, uh, his daughter actually runs his company now and, and she's a good customer of ours. So, oh, really? Know, I mean, we, nice. you, you never want to burn bridges in, in any business. And mm-hmm. uh, you, you really need to take the high road. It's a, And I haven't always done that. I mean, I've, you know, I'm like every other human out there, I've made mistakes and things that I would like to redo but at the end at the end of the day you really need to uh, take the high road and not uh, burn bridges because uh, it can come back and bite you of course yeah and uh, so well, what uh, what was I gonna ask here I was I lost my train of thought which generally happens pretty often with me you mentioned mistakes do you have any big ones uh, I, that you would like to share other than maybe overspending in the first couple of years when uh, when you thought your cash flow was great so we're doing great and then interest rates go up to 20 percent uh, I, I you know if you um, th- those are a couple of the the big mistakes there's been plenty of little ones uh, of course uh, I think you have to be a little bit self-deprecating and if you're going to be a, a, a business guy and and basically, or a business person, rather, I'm <laughs> getting my, uh, my words correct here, um, you, you really need to uh, realize that the, the, the buck stops. And I've seen many uh, business, many entrepreneurs that are bl- blaming everything but themselves. And ultimately, I've always, uh, when I look at some mistakes I've made with staff, uh, even though they were, they I didn't give them an opportunity to be successful because I wasn't a, as good a boss as I could have been for them, and I, I I realized that in hindsight, and I've I've looked at it when I've had to do some of that most difficult of things, which is you know fire people or lay them off, let them go, whatever term you want to use, and I've always looked in the mirror and said you know I uh, I may I did the hire so I'm the problem because I didn't hire right. Right. Uh, that person didn't have the skill set and and that I needed, and I didn't recognize that at the hiring stage, and and if they were marginal at the hiring stage, and could have been successful, I didn't give them the tools to be successful. I wasn't a good boss and a good mentor from that perspective. So, the, the biggest mistake that I've made is, besides those two, uh, is to uh, carry on too long, because when people get uh, situated in a company they've been here year months years uh, you know they start to feel comfortable and then it's if you don't handle the dismissal properly you can you can really uh, cause a lot of animosity and I've done that from time to time and I'm uh, obviously sorry for that but I've always looked in a mirror and said you know the buck stops with me I'm the one that made those decisions it's not the person that that I'm writing the check to that's the problem and, right uh, so and I think uh, and I've had circumstances with other entrepreneurs I've seen who don't do that and I it's not a healthy environment for the rest of your staff to see that you're not taking responsibility for your actions right and uh, you know it's uh, it's 
I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal by any stretch of the imagination. I've made plenty of mistakes. But uh, if you learn from them and if you're willing to look in a mirror and say, you know, this is my problem, right. uh, then, uh, you, you know, I think you could learn and grow from that. For sure. Uh, so that's, that's one of the, 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 the big mistakes that I've, I've made is, is hanging on too long with people that I, I, I shouldn't have in my employ. Uh, I should get, out, get them on their way and give them another opportunity to try and fit in somewhere else. Right. Um, I, I had a circumstance with a, uh, uh, when we were in the service business, we were repairing windows on an expensive high-rise downtown. and There was a, a very pricey condominium that we were doing the, replacing all the windows in. And the president of uh, the, uh, the le- major electrical company in the city here owned the penthouse. And we were replacing all of his windows. And, you know, there's obviously some delay in construction and so on. And I had a conversation with him. He was having a, a special meeting and a party, I guess, at his condo or his uh, high-rise penthouse with a bunch of high-priced people that were coming into the city. And he wanted his windows done. And I made the mistake of telling him that we would try and be there by, we'll say, Thursday or whatever it was. Right. And his response to me was, try is not in your vocabulary. You will be here and you will get it done or you won't be on this job site. So I, I learned a lesson there. When you are to make a commitment, you don't try. Right. You perform. And there is no worse word in the English language when you're dealing with somebody that is you're counting on to do something and they say the word try. Mm-hmm. It's almost a recipe for failure. Right. So uh, I learned, a, a le- and I, not that I never use that word, but uh, I try and avoid it like the plague. Sure. You know, I, I make a commitment to something and that's uh, my bond, that's mm-hmm. sacred, and uh Unless unless the sky is falling in and I need to make a change, I'm I'm there. Right, and I, I actually learned that very early on in in my career when I was landscaping and my uh, the owner of the company overextended us to every customer every day, and he'd say, "Oh yeah, we'll try and get it done by Friday," and then. He wanted all of the customers to see a little bit of progress, so we would waste half the day driving from one job to the next, you know, getting a little bit done so they saw some bodies on site. Where I'm mm-hmm. like, we could have all stayed and worked really hard on one job, mm-hmm. got it done, yeah. not driven for two hours, picked up different materials for different jobs. and. Yeah. And so it was, uh, I was 18, 19, and I was like, no matter what, if I'm in business or anything, you know, I'm giving a reasonable timeline that I know I can hit mm-hmm. unless, you know, an act of God happens, right? Where Well, it's, a, it's, it's the old adage, uh, you know, uh, under promise and over deliver. I mean, <laughs> it's, there's nothing worse than, than having somebody say they're going to be there and they aren't. And the, uh, 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 you know, at least if, you, if you've got something that's just beyond your control, uh, make sure that before they're expecting you, you, you phone them and, and, and explain your situation. Because mm-hmm. people are understanding. I mean, For if sure. you explain the situation to them, you've made the commitment, but you've had this come up, and at least you're communicating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the mistake that, that, and I see this in dealing with a lot of trades and 
everyday life that I deal with that, that uh, I, I wonder how some people stay in business and you gave an example of your landscaping days and I I mean that 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 is just a horrible way to run a business well I know and it's so prevalent in trades because I've worked in trades for many years yeah. and dealt with a lot and you're like okay I'm come and do this job like I'm paying you cash or whatever like this is work right no I don't have the time you yeah. know whatever and yeah you're just like well how do how do you stay in business right yeah you, you, you times are too good yeah that the really successful businesses that are in the service and construction I mean they as you say they they, they make commitments they know they can meet instead of <coughs> and, and the pressure that people get uh, that uh, trades get and, and the uh, the companies get is I need this done now and it's usually because <laughs> usually because the customer hasn't thought far enough forward not always but sometimes mm-hmm. and that puts a lot of pressure on the company and they feel that they have to make a commitment to keep this person happy well you, you know in the end it's only going to be a band-aid and right. you're not going to keep them happy because mm-hmm. you can't get there on time so you may as well be up front and be truthful and say I can't get there Right. So I, I can get there this date, mm-hmm. and you might get a sigh on the other end of the line, but at least you know you'll be there, and they will count on you, and you will perform. Of course, because most most of these trades do it. You know your your businesses they do they know what they're doing in terms of of their the physical side of the job. It's mm-hmm. the business side and and simple concepts like be there and be there on time, right. get the job done, bill bill people right after make sure that you quote people immediately i mean if how many times have you had somebody come and give you uh, t- tell you that they're going to come and give you a quote they show up they take all our notes they go back and you don't hear from them for a couple of weeks it's right. like what's that yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> sure. if, i mean if you if you really want somebody's business give them their quote and give it to them right away that to me impresses people that mm-hmm. that the first person in with a quote already has a leg up on everybody else right and if, and if anybody else that's quoted it two or three weeks later, my feeling is that when they tell me they're going to show up, if they take the job, they're not going to show up. Sure. They're, they'll be two or three weeks late showing up. Right. I don't need that. No. So, uh, yeah, yeah, just, uh, it, it's business when you, when you start breaking it down is amazingly simple, but some people find it really complicated. <laughs> that's a, that's a fair point. Uh, Alberta businessman for 40 years you've seen more cycles than than my generation uh, did you have issues did you work through did you change your business during some of these you know growth boom bust periods uh, any any good advice for people going through what we're kind of struggling with now well, there's there's obviously uh, the, the the incident that I mentioned in the 1980s, a couple of years into our business, where where um, uh, we were living a bit larger than what the company would support, both my partner and I, and that was a lesson that was extremely valuable. Later on, we I never wanted to put myself in that position again, so we made sure that that everybody else got paid. And uh, we paid ourselves a living, obviously. We needed to survive too, but we didn't, if there was anything left over, that money was put in the bank and, and it was rainy day money mm-hmm. so that we could uh, survive any downturns in the economy. 
business has been pretty stable for us ever since. We've not suffered too much in that regard. Uh, we've never noticed any big swings because we, we keep uh, you know our, our nose to the grindstone, as it were. Uh, but er, early, we, we, we started renting in 1978 when we started. We rented a warehouse. Uh, two years after we uh, started the business, we decided an opportunity came to buy. So we took advantage of that and bought a couple more warehouses, and we've been owning our business, our, our accommodation ever since. Our warehouses we own, we own them, own them clear title, and not having to pay rent is a big deal. I would strongly advise anybody, if if the, if that business model suits you, to buy your own place. Right. Don't rent. You're just paying somebody else's mortgage, and sure. it doesn't take too big a look around to see the most successful businesses in town. A lot of them have started off with real estate and own real estate and have got real estate uh, paid for it, and and now it's just a, a cash machine for them. Sure. Uh, either renting out or, uh, I mean, I, I shudder to think what we'd be paying for rent if uh, if we were, you know, had to pay yeah, rent on this insane. place. Yeah, that's so uh, and and you know and and it takes time. I mean, we it it but I mean, paying rent is basically paying somebody else's mortgage at any rate. Mm-hmm. So uh, whether it's 10 or 15 years in, it takes you to, to cover off a building that you bought before you own it. So what? Right. I mean, you're going to be paying someone's <laughs> rent for 10 or 15 years, and, it, and what have you got more. to show for that? Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, really, you, you, uh, I would strongly encourage anybody to, to take that step. I know it's a big step, but really it's no worse than signing a five-year lease on, uh, somebody, else's, uh, on somebody else's terms. Mm-hmm. And paying for their mortgage, right? So that that's one thing I, I that we did, and we we've done that from the get go. We have bought more warehouses as time has gone on, and and when we're and we're still in the process of buying more real estate whenever the opportunity comes along. Right. Uh, so that I think that is so that you is can helpful. make other business owners pay your mortgage. Well, it, <laughs> <laughs> that's the plan. That's right. the plan, and. and uh, uh, yeah, that, that's uh, absolutely the plan. And and another, I mentioned earlier on about not being afraid to take advice. I, I took some advice from the Federal Business Development Bank. Uh, my accountant uh, suggested that I go and see them probably in the mid-80s or so. They were like a, uh, a, a company or a government organization that, that uh, you could go to for advice and mentoring. Uh, the Federal Business Development Bank was a really good asset for me to, to tap into. And I had a, uh, the uh, president of Reitman's, uh, the clothing people, come and visit us for a few days and go through some of the struggles that we were going through. Uh, w- wonderful guy, really, gentleman, really helpful. He was retired uh, from his business for the most part. And he gave me some really good advice on how to run our business. And it was really inexpensive. I mean, I, I forget what we were paying. It was something like 20 or $25 an hour at that point in time when the uh, the big boys were charging, you know, they'd come into your company and charge you thousands of dollars and take up a whole bunch of your time. And, right. and this this uh, service that was offered by the government, and I think, I think that they still do offer that service. Uh, I think it's called the Business Development Bank or something. I'm not sure. But it's worthwhile looking into if there's any government services that 
that uh, you can come in and, and that can come in and see you and they're, they're, I found them extremely reasonable and they are typically business ex-business people like myself that have uh, right. spent a lifetime in business and can come in and, and mentor, and, mentor and, and uh help you with some of your answer some of your questions right so I I would highly recommend that uh, there's there's no uh, there's nothing wrong with asking for some of that kind of advice and it's really inexpensive and they they don't they really zero in on what it is that you want for the most part the questions that you have and they don't take up a, a copious amount of time with all of this frivolous uh, you know financial statements for the last five years and those kinds of things sure. that, that uh, that just scare the crap out of you when you're trying to get advice, you know. Right. So I, I would I would highly recommend that. Uh, the other little tidbit I'll pass along is the uh, something that my sons uh, did at the front counter years ago. Uh, we have a warranty on all of our products, uh, one varying length depending on the product, but typically it's at least one year on everything that you buy. Right. And uh, we had a customer come in. I was standing at the front counter, and uh, one of my sons was handling the, the warranty return. And it was a, 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 a month or two over the warranty expiry date. And, and uh, I, my son talked to the customer and said, well, you know what, that's really over the warranty date. We sh- really shouldn't be doing this, but, you know, I will do this for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, he gave the customer the uh, the a new product uh, f- for nothing under warranty, and I, I looked at that uh, that conversation and I, I called him aside after and I said, you know, you were going to give that customer warranty on that product, weren't you? And he said, yes, I was. And I said, well, you made the mistake of making the customer feel like you were doing him a favor. And I said that was a mistake. You were going to do it anyway. So there was no point. You, you should have said, well, I'm really sorry for the inconvenience. I know you're going to have to go and, and reinstall this product again. Uh, we'll certainly give you a new one, and thanks very much for shopping here. Right. Because I have gone to myself to places where they act like they're doing you a favor when they're giving you something that is just outside of the fine print. Right. And I, that's a mistake. I mean, if, you're, if your philosophy and your company is, you know, uh, warranties and... And, and customer service is flexible. Give the people at the front counter the flexibility to step outside of the norms of your, your customer service when you're servicing a customer and service them well. Then give them that authority and don't make the customer feel like you're doing them a favor. Right. Because they're doing you a favor by coming by back. Being your exactly. So, so that, was a, that, that I thought was a, a, a good piece of advice that I gave my sons. So hopefully they're still following that. Uh, I think they. I think they are. Uh, well, which brings me to your sons. So, uh, but I do want to ask one question before it's not on. It's not on my list, but uh, just obviously from the sounds of this conversation, if if you're listening, uh, you can sort of understand that you have been successful in business. When did you? When did you know? Did was there ever a moment where you're like, oh, "This is doing well. I am doing well." Was there like that moment all of a sudden, or did it just happen over time? 
Well, it, it, I think it happens over time, Kent. Uh, you, uh, obviously, there's some major uh, signposts along the way, like paying off your mortgage. I mean, once you own the buildings that you're in, that's a, a nice uh, cushion that you have when you're not paying uh, mortgage payments. Uh, that's, that's a big deal. Huge asset, right? Yeah, it's a, Just... it's a huge asset. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's, that's really helpful. When you uh, don't need your line of credit anymore, right. we had sure. uh, a substantial line of credit and uh, you know, a couple, three decades ago, we found that we had uh, never used our line of credit. And a year goes by, two years go by, we still have the facility in place, but we're not using it. And that's really a, a signpost. So we, we may even still have a line of credit at the bank, I'm not even sure, but we haven't needed it for decades. Right. And uh, uh, because we, we just don't need it. So th- those are those are milestones that you uh, uh, that, that come along and uh, you know you just you, slowly but surely you build up cash over time. I mean really the, 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 the bottom line is you, you end up with uh, making uh, maybe a 10 percent uh, gross profit uh, on your sales. So that's not a, a whole bunch of money. Uh, you still have to pay taxes out of that, and so you're not. It's not like you're you're running off to the bank with uh, wheelbarrows full of money. I mean, it right. just builds over time. Yeah. And if you're, uh, you, you can. You, and of course, you're making a living. You're still making a wage and, and uh, uh, taking your holidays and like everybody else does. But you just keep piling up the the cash over time and spending it wisely on things that'll generate. Uh, generate, uh, make your business a little bit better, generate income, and then over time you manage to build up a little bit of a reserve and then a little bit bigger reserve. Right. Nice. But it does take time. There's no, there's no, it's not like winning a lottery. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It doesn't happen that way. Uh, I mean, we've had some circumstances where we bought property uh, early on uh, in our our business careers. We, We bought some uh, a couple of acres of land that we were going to build on here 30 years ago and um, I think I paid $150,000 or something for an acre and a half of land uh, and four or five years later I sold it for about 170 or 175 and thought I was making a killing. Right. Well, <laughs> that that was a mistake. If I'd have held on to that property it would have been <laughs> sure. worth 10 times that much. Uh, so, uh, you know, sometimes it, it, it just pays to ride it out, and I, I learned that lesson in, from a real estate point of view. And uh, we've made some good decisions. We bought some property here just uh, east of us, and, and we had it for about seven or eight years and doubled our money because we decided not to build on it. So mm-hmm. we doubled our money, and that was a good deal. So we for did sure. okay. We said, but so much of that is, unless you're a, a bloody genius at that real estate business, which we were not, uh, it's more about timing. It's than just it is timing. About, yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's not a genius. Yeah. It's just timing. It's just what, timing and, and, and patience. Like and patience. Any investment, yeah. right? <clears throat> well, we could afford to carry it. We didn't know sure. anything on it, so it was just uh, all we were doing was <clears throat> paying taxes on it, and uh, you know they were not inconsiderable. But we finally got sick and tired of paying a, a large tax bill every every year on the vacant property. But but uh, so we finally sold it. But we did we did well with that. Nice. So there's a few, you know, little Big incidents uh, where we ended up, uh, you know, bringing in a little extra cash that year because of the sale of the property. And so, mm-hmm. so. and uh, now I guess I want to, I want to head into next generation. 
and and getting the boys uh, you know handing over the keys as it were and and sort of that process uh, was that tough for you you know emotionally and in in every sense was it also something that you were very proud that you were able to do uh, yeah yeah well certainly I mean it's uh, there's anybody out there that started a business and seen it grow that it's it's like having a ch- child you uh, watch it mature and grow and you have some sleepless nights on 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 the uh, in, in in the process I started uh, my my son's in the business early Ryan's been in it 20 years now he started when he was 20 years old so he's got a really good handle on the business but early on I mean the the when they were teenagers and in school I try to get them in here to clean and, and do all these menial tasks that mm-hmm. would orient them with the business a little bit and plus it had to be done and uh, <laughs> free labor. They, yeah free labor no no it wasn't free I was paying them but uh, they, they were uh, of course I wasn't standing around supervising them <laughs> I wasn't really good at that so uh, they took full advantage of that they've told me that uh, but they, they, they learned more about the business and then when they uh, both of them started working here there they had uh, siblings will do we had our our moments uh, you know I've heard other entrepreneurs when their kids come into the business say the best thing about working with your your family is also the worst thing with working with your family it's uh, it, it can be it can have I get to see my kids every day and work with them every day and for that I'm blessed right I, uh, I am eternally grateful for that uh, but it, it in its infancy it wasn't that much fun right uh, getting them up to speed was a job uh, but it but it happened they came along they learned they they were obviously had uh, uh, they both have education uh, that supports the business uh, Ryan's got a uh, business uh, diploma from Nate uh, with an accounting marketing background and Nathan has uh, has got a uh, uh, real good hands-on and intuitive feel for the mechanics of the business because he's a journeyman glazier and they both uh, bring something to the table that uh, is really helpful uh, and now after 20 years they appreciate that uh, you know there's lots of different ways to uh, make a living I mean it's all about uh, people and relationships and enjoying what you do to to make a living and, and it makes them a decent living they they live uh, reasonably well and we've managed to have a, a a good transition that we started about seven or eight years ago maybe twenty years ago really but <laughs> right. uh, seven eight years ago formally and we hired uh, some experts to help us with that transition from an accounting perspective to make sure that was all uh, really uh, that the Gov and Revenue Canada would have no problems with anything we were doing. So uh, we paid uh, uh, paid well to have that done well, um, and uh, and they've managed to uh, wear the mantle to the point where I really I have nothing to do with day to day operations and really have next to nothing to do with the company uh, from day to day perspective. <coughs> Excuse me, Ken, but they're doing uh, they're doing really well. I'm I'm pleased with them. Uh, I, uh, I I only hope that. Uh, if the path forward for this business and the growth of this business warrants a third generation, great. Right. Uh, they have had offers from uh, our comp- competitors that are uh, like the elephants in the room to buy us uh, on more than one occasion. 
but the boys haven't really entertained that. They've asked my opinion, and I told them, well, you live and answer to each other. You don't have to look at a president or a boss that is sitting in Toronto or someplace else who decides when you take holidays or if you get to come in a little bit late one day. Uh, you make those decisions yourself. Uh, how much of your independence do you want to give up for a dollar? Right. And uh, yes, they would end up with a fair bit of cash, but that is uh, th- that doesn't buy the happiness. They got enough of an income that they don't really have to worry about that now. Sure. Uh, there's a price to uh, to pay for that freedom, and they don't want to pay that that price to uh, a major corporation. So yeah. I don't see them selling. Uh, I wouldn't. I mean, the, the really important part of that, that's why you get to be or you want to be your own boss is so that you, you can make the decisions sure, and steer the ship. Course, and, right. You know, if you want to work for somebody else, well, you go do that. Yeah. So uh, I, I think they, they realize that and they'll, they'll keep that going. And if, uh, and if the, my grandchildren grand, uh, are interested in the business, I got six of them. So hopefully we'll have a, uh, some of them that might be interested in getting into the business and get the right mentorship. We'll, right. we'll see. Yeah, goes. it's hard, right? I mean, family transitions can be extremely difficult and drive right. businesses into the ground. Right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and then usually the second, third generation does that. Uh, if statistics are any proof of that, but uh, uh, you know, by that time that rolls around, uh, the company will have served me me well. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. it'll be up to my sons to make sure that they sure. they can live on, you know, fruitfully. Yeah. And you talked about, so the first, was it a difficult, was it difficult for you to say, okay, well, I, I guess this is yours now? Like, I don't... Uh, yeah, I had a medical incident. Uh, you, 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 you've heard about it. I, I had a heart attack uh, when I was out hiking on the, on the Skyline Trail in Jasper. And uh, I was fortunate that I was able to be choppered out. And, and uh, a couple of stents later, I was uh, back in business. But it was a wake-up call for me, and this was about 10 years ago. And uh, it was a wake-up call for my sons, too. And they said to, to me that, uh, you know, maybe it's time that we, we started this transition uh, process so that uh, we're not left with a whole bunch of loose ends if anything should happen to you. Mercenary souls that my sons are, uh, <laughs> we managed to, and they were right. Uh, so we, we decided to uh, start working on a, a transition plan. And we did, so that that uh, that triggered the uh, the process. Uh, but yes, it was difficult. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the heart attack was only part of it, but the uh, the fact that uh, I woke up one day and uh, after the transition had taken place, and I didn't have to, I had to ask my sons if I could uh, make this or that expenditure for this or that. Uh, uh, this or that decision that I was making, and that that was a that was a bit of a pill for me to swallow. Yeah, that's uh, weird. Right? And, uh, and my, of course, my credit card I couldn't just use it anytime or anywhere I wanted to. They 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 put a uh, limit on that, which was uh, <laughs> which was kind of them to do, uh, but you know <laughs> necessary because I uh, I uh, didn't mind uh, running up my credit card a little bit. Uh, didn't bother me. I never had to worry about it. But but anyway, they, they uh, but that's that's all that that was a took me a couple of years to really uh, get that out of my system so that uh, you know I had and they they were good about it I mean they realized 
and appreciated that you know the the effort that uh, their mom and I had put into this business and, and also our staff that had worked with us for so many decades and were so dedicated were the reason why this company was successful and they were under no illusions that it was anything that that uh, that they had done in the last 20 years uh, although they certainly were part of that equation in later years but mm-hmm. um, they were grateful for that they realized it and, right. uh, and I think that's the uh, <coughs> I think that's the, the key is that it, the transition gets a lot easier when you're you're children appreciate what you've done and express that appreciation mm-hmm. and uh, and you know that it's a lot easier when your kids give you a few attaboys to say okay fine I'll I'll, I'll cut back my credit card expenditures <laughs> right <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah well and so I think probably what is a key to success to making that happen having them kind of work in the company in the beginning and, and seeing like what it would you have done it if you didn't I, you must have known that they could carry it on like I, I just feel like it fails so often and, and where is that mistake is it just handing it over too easily or is it oh can't you know I, I really uh, I've not done a lot of studying on, on that uh, looked at a lot of, of different uh, failures and successes and what makes that successful obviously you need to your your sibling the, the, the children that you're handing the company over to have to have have to be fairly well grounded in what made it successful to begin with they have to understand what uh, that, that it's not a, uh, a piggy bank that they can just rob anytime they choose right um, and and I for my part, I, I remained signatory on the bank accounts for several years. Uh, I wanted to know where the money was going. I wanted to know uh, that uh, that the shares were that uh, the dividends that they were paying me and the shares they were redeeming. I was going to keep getting that paycheck. Right. So I was uh, minding uh, Roseanne's and my own uh, future because that was our retirement, and they they were really good about that. Uh, we discussed that on a regular basis and made sure that the, the company had lots of financial support and it was healthy, that was not never an issue. But I think making sure that they understand the, uh, the finances and the, can read a financial statement and understand where the money's coming from uh, and, and uh, the, the basics of the business is critical. I, uh, it's, 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 it was critical under our circumstances. Now there's maybe companies where somebody that's got uh, kids that have been off to uh, Harvard and have an MBA and can step into a business and not know anything about it and make it successful, maybe that works for them. I don't know. But I don't think that there's, there really isn't much of a substitute for most of us that bring our children into the business that is a substitute for working in the business, Mm -hmm. being brought up in the business, understanding the business and making sure that uh, your philosophy, assuming you're successful, uh, gets handed down to, to them so that they can carry that philosophy forward right. with the business. Uh, and, I, and my sons have, uh, I've been extremely blessed. They, they've, uh, they basically do and run this business. I mean, I see things day to day that I would do a little bit differently, but I don't nag them. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, their, it's their show. And, uh, and they're doing things now with the current technology and 
and the website and Twitter and, and Facebook and other things that they use that I, I was the catalog guy and I was the, right. used a day timer and like I'm old school mm-hmm. uh, and I but I've embraced a lot of this new technology and I get it I know why we need it and mm-hmm. I'm glad that they see it because uh, uh, I think that's the recipe for failure of a lot of businesses if they don't adapt and right. so bringing young people in they got new ideas it's a good idea totally yeah yeah well, I mean, we are uh, that. I, I could I could listen to you for another couple hours easily. Ah, uh, you're kidding! I, no, no, you I wish no, I, you could. <laughs> I wish I could. I, well, you talked about the paying just a little bit of money for mentors through the government, and I actually, or you could start a podcast and then get to talk to business owners from everywhere and just get that insight. Myself, that's my. Uh, it's been great. For me, just getting to talk to people doing all these different things and, and learning, right? I mean, well, the people are uh, obviously the people that tune into your blog and others like it are are thirsty for knowledge. And the uh, I, I think you, you listen to uh, an hour and a half or some amount of time of somebody that has business experience, and you come away with. Uh, one or two snippets of information that will help you in your business, that's a success. Mm-hmm. You, uh, and, and you accumulate enough of those over time, and you know that's a recipe for success. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I appreciate when you mentioned this to me some months ago that you were interested in this, I thought, what a great idea. I, I, growing up in my business, of course, you know, we weren't, even though the internet was developed uh, 50 years ago, today, <laughs> yesterday. Uh, we never had access to that when I was growing up. I mean, that kind of information was something you read in a textbook or you mm-hmm. or you would uh, talk to your uh, business friend that had been in business for a while. But the kind of information that, that you're uh, putting out putting out there on your blog is extremely valuable. Uh, I'm not, not saying that what I had to say was really that valuable, but, no, but you, you know, you add it all been. up. You add it all up and, and, and it's... Uh, uh, you, you, your takeaway, uh, you can use it and massage it any way you want, and, and, uh, and it's, it, it can be extremely valuable in the long run. Mm-hmm. And motivating. I mean, I, I think it should be for a lot of people, uh, because everybody's story, it has never been an easy road. It has never been a quick path to success. Yeah. It has always taken time and effort and, and risk and and you know, believing in yourself and your business, which I think, I mean, if you have patience and you're doing it for the right reasons, you can be successful in uh, something that you care about. It's just uh, yeah, yeah. It's it, you know, you're uh, you're you're right from the. Uh, I've been in sales all my life, and I, it's the kind of business that you're in, and most of us are in sales in one capacity or other, and I've never tried to sell anything anybody, anything that they didn't need. Uh, they want you for advice if you're good in sales, they want to pick your brain, they want to know that, that you can give them good advice and help them solve their problem. I've never ever sold uh, on the basis of I need a sale. Uh, it was always first to satisfy the customer's needs and, and ultimately a sale comes out of that usually. Right. 
And if I can't satisfy the customer, I've never hesitated to say, look, why don't you try ABC Company? I think they have more of what you need. Mm-hmm. And then you will have a customer for life if you're willing to help them out in that regard. Right. And I've always found that to be a good recipe for success. Perfect. Well, I think that uh, probably, I guess, could con- conclude it for today. Hopefully we do it again. Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I think you got, uh, I, I thought that it was a, a really good idea when you mentioned it to me. And and uh, if you've got a dozen other episodes for people to go to, uh, I'm sure there's lots of uh, uh, snippets of information on there that uh, would be real helpful. Right. I, well, I agree. And I'm going to get Nathan on here one of these days. <laughs> See what his story is. But uh, thank you so <laughs> that much. That I would love to listen to. It'd be wonderful to hear what my sons have to say right. about, <laughs> about getting into exactly. getting into this business. That would be uh, an interesting legacy that uh, that I would uh, like to listen to us when you get it there. No, I'll get it there for sure. Yeah. I just got to. Uh, I'll give it a little bit of time and then uh, and let them stew on it for a bit. But uh, thank you, Ross. It was a pleasure. Oh, you're uh, welcome. It was. Uh, I love it. Enjoy your re- pretend retirement. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yes, thank you again. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Awesome. That was, that was really good. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I-